bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop. It's my special guest, Joey Candillo. Hey, it's good to be here. Glad to have you today. One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries. Um, this is part two of Joey's story. Uh, we believe that the bigger the mess, many times the bigger the message. And uh, we have explored the intimate details of, of Joey's life, um, what brought Joey to his point of brokenness. A phenomenal story. Uh, if you are listening to part two and you haven't listened to part one, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to part one. Um, we're, we're encouraged by scripture. Uh, everything we do is focused on the gospel. Um, Christ is the center of everything. And, and I'm reminded of, uh, one of our verses that we use for this podcast, which is Psalms 51, 17, uh, the sacrifice of God, our broken heart, broken and contrite spirit, the Lord will not despise. And, and, uh, then, uh, Philippians 1, 12, uh, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul said, I want you to know, brethren, um, that my past has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And so we've gotten through most of your past. Uh, there's a few things that I just want to touch on. Uh, we we uh, asked you earlier what brought you to your broken place, and you shared your heart there. Um, and then you went to prison, Joey, and we're just kind of recapping a little bit. You went to prison and, and surrendered your life to Jesus in a prison cell, and you realized that there was... There was uh, there was something more in life, and you had a you had a hope in the future. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, could you just tell us, share uh, when when did you realize that uh, you had hope? There was hope for you. Like when did that sink in? What was that like when you realized, hey, there's hope for me? I mean, it, it was like right all at once. Like it's, I was sitting on the back row uh, at that church service in chapel in prison, and um, and hearing that 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 everything that I've ever done, God would be willing to forgive that. And then when I went forward <clears throat> and I got saved, and He gave me a Bible, um, it, it was instantaneous. I mean, God had just completely given me a whole new life. And then from that day forward, I started reading my Bible every day, and I started discovering uh, principles in the Bible that that God had a plan for me. And I was just blown away. Um, I had no clue what. Uh, what God was going to do with my life. I just wanted to, I, I was grateful that he would just save me. And from there on, for, for the rest of my life, everything else is just gravy. And I knew I didn't want to, <clears throat> there's one thing that I saw leading up to getting saved is um, 
so we were we had these gray slacks that they made us wear and a button-up shirt and we had to keep it tucked in and you have your id <coughs> over here clipped to your shirt yeah and, and well so we had a little a little pocket right here and uh other guys before me uh, i would see that they would go to chapel and they would come back with a little pocket new testament and they would they'd be reading that and and i saw more on more than one occasion a guy get a letter from the judge coming back that says hey tomorrow you're going home and he would reach in his pocket and he'd take that bible and he'd throw it on the table and go i don't need that anymore i'm good i'm going home and i just remember seeing that before i got saved going that's not to me that's not real that's not genuine that's not what i want i want a real relationship with god and and so i knew it was much more than just a superstition like they were using god as a superstition to get them a good luck charm to get out of prison uh, but it was so much more than that for me. And uh, and so as I began to read the Bible, I began to see who God says I really am, my new identity in Christ. So, Amen. So you go home. You get out, right? You get out, out of prison. You're 23? 22 the day that I get out. And uh, I go... Uh, my girlfriend comes and picks me up. We have a daughter um, together. And we were... Uh, before I went to prison, I was bad, a bad boy. I was a drug, a drug dealer, a drug addict. And, um, my girlfriend caught me cheating on her so many times. It's not even funny. And she was in love with this bad boy image. And one day I called her after I got saved and I said, Hey, uh, I got saved this week. And I said, when I get out, we're going to start going to church. And my daughter turned a year old while I was in there. I just felt like a piece of crap. And that was all leading up to, uh, me getting saved and on the other end of the line she just said she goes she goes what does it mean to get saved I said I tried to explain to her I said but just we're gonna go to church when we get out and she was like all right I guess you know she wasn't that into it and so the day that I got out she came and picked me up and uh, took me home and I when I got home I'd only been gone for four months so it's not like I was gone for 10 years but the four months of bills have been stacked up on the table and it just had this moment and and John you know this and anybody in recovery knows this that the, the day you get out of prison that's like the most if you don't have a home plan set up if you don't have resources waiting for you if you don't have a plan waiting for you what you're going to do on that day because that's when the it's easy to stay sober it, for me anyways it was easy to stay sober in prison there was no drugs in where i was at there was no temptation but now when i got home it's like okay what am i going to do am i going to call my friends and go hang out with them my boys or am i going to go i wanted to go to church that day and so i looked at this stack of bills i'm going through them i'm like oh man i'm never going to pay this stuff off and i looked at my girlfriend and i said I want to go back to prison. She was like, what are you talking about? I was like, it was no, I had no stress in there. Literally no stress. I didn't have to work. I didn't have to take care of anything. You know, about, about the only thing that you have to worry about in there is dropping the soap. You know what I'm saying? But, but everything's taken care of. Your food's taken care of your, um, three hots and a cot, three hots and a cot. There's no stress with that. And so now I'm in the real world and the stress begins and, and everything's going through my head. How did I deal with stress before? I'll just go get high. You know, that's what I wanted to do. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to church. So I went that day. That was a Wednesday um, afternoon. And I went and knocked on the door. The only church that I knew of. And this guy, this bald-headed dude named Otis Next Door, came, came to the door. I had been to his church about six years earlier um, when I was in high school, was senior in high school, my best friend, his sister died in a car accident. And Otis did the funeral 
and Jeremy and his whole family started going to church. Well, I was kind of staying with them at the time, so I started going to church with them. I wasn't interested in church at all. There was a pretty girl that was there, so I kept showing up to see her, and uh, and then I just kind of fell away. I didn't think Otis would remember me, but he remembered me. He opened up the door and he said, "Hey, Joey." He goes, "He goes." He was excited to see me. He's like, well, "What's going on?" I said, well, I just got out of prison like an hour ago. I said, but I gave my life to Jesus a, a month ago, and I need to find a church. I was like, can I come to your church? And I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know if they would let me come to church being an ex-convict like that. But he brought me in, and that night was Wednesday night. It was Bible study, and he introduced me to a lot of people, and they became my family. And they made the difference Um they, you know, I remember the last thing they told me when I was getting out of jail, the recidivism rate in Missouri was 85%. And I was like, I don't know what that word means. I can't even pronounce it. And she said, the recidivism, she goes, you have a 15% chance of making it on the outside. She goes, so if you don't want to come back here, and I said, I don't want to come back. She goes, well, you better do something different than what everybody else is doing. So I knew I needed to do something different. And for me, that was getting involved in church. And so I start, I was there. I started going to church every time the doors were open. In fact, I would pull in the parking lot before the pastor would get there Sunday morning. And I would just wait and just wait till he pulled up. Because I was like, one day I asked him, I was sort of halfway joking. I was like, man, Pastor Otis, can I live at church he just laughed and I go, no, I'm kind of serious. I said, when I'm, when I'm here, I said, there's so much stress and pressure and I feel like the devil's always attacking me. But when I'm at church, I feel like it's safe. Like he can't come in here. And, uh, he was like, no, you can't, you can't live here. But there was just something about that church that made a difference in my life and kept me out of prison. So, so how did you end up in ministry? So Otis was big on sharing your faith. You know, I mean, he was big on soul winning. And so he taught me, he said, Joey, there's something different about you. You know, you, you've been redeemed. You have an obligation to share that with other people. And he didn't have to convince me of that. Cause I just, I naturally wanted to just tell people like it for, for me, I, I saw the other side of darkness and God redeemed me. And now I was walking in darkness. Now I'm walking in light and, and, it's the same thing, man, if I'm driving down the road and I see gas cheap, man, I just want to tell everybody, hey, there's gas cheap here, right? Well, the best thing that's ever happened to me was that God redeemed me. He didn't send me to hell in which I deserved. And so now I'm going to heaven. I need to share that with people, but I didn't know how. So I would just walk up to people that I knew. Be like, hey, man, you're going to hell. You know, that, right? I mean, that wasn't very tactful. It was true. People, people without Christ go to hell. But he, Otis began to teach me how to share that with a, you know, with some tact and kind of a winsome type thing. And so he showed me how to, he gave me some scriptures and said, memorize these, the Romans road. And he showed me how to walk someone through the plan of salvation. First person I got to lead to Christ was my mom. And um, that was an amazing thing. And then I shared Christ with her. She got saved. I went back and talked to my dad who was dying of cirrhosis of the liver. And I said, hey, dad, if... Um, you died right now. Do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And he, he just started making excuses. He's like, Oh yeah. He goes, I prayed a prayer, uh, 13 years ago with your cousin, Rocky. My cousin Rocky was a pastor. And, uh, but I was like, dad, man, you say you're saved, but there's nothing about your life that looks like a Christian to me. And I, I was like, I was shocked. And so I would ask him several more times. And then one day we went over there and, um, Ralph told, we were out knocking on doors and he goes, let's go visit your dad. And I was like, ah, my dad's not ready. He goes, just trust me. We're going to go visit your dad. And he knew something I didn't know. Cause as soon as we walked in the door, 
you know, he, he asked my father, he said, he said, Terry, if you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? I was waiting for him to say the same answer. He just dropped his head and he goes, no, but I'd like to. And all that reality was setting in for my dad because he was dying of cirrhosis of the liver and he, he knew he wouldn't, he might not be around much longer. And so that was his rock bottom and God used that for him to give his life to Christ. And so as I began to share with people, um, people just would get saved. Like it wasn't like I, it wasn't anything special about me. And then my pastor Otis, he said, Joe, you have the gift of evangelism. I was like, I don't know what that is. He goes, you just, it's a gift that God gives certain people of evangelism. And he goes, you're passionate about that. And I said, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, that's all I want to do is tell people about Jesus. And he goes, and so one day we talked about it and he goes, well, you should probably go to Bible college if you feel called to the ministry. And I said, I've never heard of a Bible college. What is it? And he goes, well, the one I went to is in Springfield, Missouri. It's called Baptist Bible College. And I said, all right, well, I'll pray about it. That was a Sunday. The next morning I go into my job. I've never been to Springfield before in my life, ever. And and I go into my job and they said, hey, this week you're going to Springfield for the week. So I was like, okay. And I thought, well, while I'm down there, I'll go by and see the school. So I'm staying in a hotel not far from the school, working during the day, putting in telephone lines and computer cable. One day after work, I go over to the school and I was like, I mean, I was just so scared and I walked in and they were like, what can we do for you? I said, I, I don't know. I said, I'm just, uh, working here. My pastor said I should come by and check out the school. And I told them my story and they said, why don't you fill out an application while you're here? And I was like, no, you, you'll probably laugh at me. You, you won't accept it. By the time I left that day, I'd filled out the application. And they already accepted me into Bible college. I was like, I don't know how this happened. You know, I wasn't planning on this. So I started making plans to, to go to Bible college. I went back home and my mom, my mom is a person. I love her. She might watch this and my mom's great. Uh, but she's kind of negative Nancy type person. She just, we can look at the same thing and she sees the negative in it. I went home and I told, uh, I, I was super excited to go in and tell my mom and dad that I was going to go to Bible college. And I went in and I told my mom, I said, I said, uh, I just enrolled in Bible college. I'm going to, I'm going to go into the ministry. And my mom laughed. She goes, she goes, you are not going to be, she, she goes, you don't, you're not going to go to Bible college and be a pastor. She goes, you don't have what it takes. And I was just like, Oh, all right. I guess Thank she's right. Yeah. Well, this is a, she did that one other time this was in high school. I went to, I got called out of class one time. I thought I was in trouble. The guidance counselor, I was a senior and she called me into her office and she goes, have you thought about what you're going to do with the rest of your life? And I said, no, I said, um, I mean, uh, she goes, have you thought about going to college? I was like, no, nobody, in my, nobody in my family's ever gone to college. I'm just going to be a construction worker like my dad. And she goes, she goes, Joey, she goes, you could go to Bible or she goes, you could go to college if you wanted to. And I was like, she goes, well, think about it. So all that day, I'm a senior in high school. All that day, I'm just thinking about going to college, going to college. I get home. My mom gets off work and she walks in the door. I was like, hey, mom, what would you think about me going to college? And she laughed. She goes, you're not going to go to college. She goes, you're going to be a construction worker like your dad. She goes, just get used to that idea. She goes, that's who you are. That's who our family is. And I went, all right, I guess that's true. And so for the next several years, I just operated in that mindset whenever this is what I found about people, whenever you put low expectations on people, they'll, they'll live up to that. But if you raise the bar and you t start to expect more out of people, they will rise to the occasion. So anyways, that was my, 
My, my mom laughed at me when I told her I was going to Bible college and she said I didn't have what it takes. And then my dad, for the first time in his life, he's now saved and he's going to church and he spoke up and he goes, oh, I'll leave the boy alone. If that's what, that's what he wants to do, let's let him do it. And, and that helped me, you know, that was the first encouragement I ever received from my dad my whole life. And, and so, yeah, now I'm like, I, I didn't, I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to be an evangelist. I didn't, I had no thoughts on being a pastor. I just wanted to tell people about Jesus full time. And I didn't know what that was going to look like, but God, God had plans for me. Baptist Bible college. I went to Baptist Bible yeah, college yeah. and, um, Big shout out to Baptist BBC, baby. Yeah, yeah. it's a great school. Uh, they have a scholarship for our people, and we we actually have. I think Rachel will correct me on this, but it's like eleven or fourteen um, men and women in Bible college uh, for a freeway scholarship right now. They're doing really, really good, um, and because of the president Mark Milioni and um, the dean of students, brother Shannon, and they've been a blessing to us. But I remember being in Bible college and everybody looking at me like, whose dad is that? You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm the tattoo guy with my hands raised up. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I remember very vividly also knowing in my family, you know, college educated or anything like that. Yeah. And, uh, it was new for me too. But, um, so you're in Bible college. Uh, what happens next? I mean, you're, you take a church, you graduate, tell us about the policy they made you sign. Yeah, so the first day I stepped on campus at BBC, I get called into the dean's office, and uh, it was freshman orientation. I, I'm like, man, I just got here. I'm already in trouble. And so they sat me down, Brother Levergood and Brother uh, Brother Adams, and the the deans at that time, and and they and I was like, what what did I do? And they go, well, they go, Joey, we know your background because when I filled it out, they they go, we know you've been to prison. They said, so we just have this policy in place that. They said, you're not allowed to date any girls here. And of course, I'm and I'm 24 at this time. So I'm about six years older than most other girls. And uh, and they go, so you're not allowed to date any girls. They go, but if you do find a girl that you're interested in, you come in and talk to us. We will call her parents to come in. They'll have to come in person and give you permission to date their daughter. I was like, you know what? It, it's good. I'm good. I don't need all that. I'm just here to study. And in fact, I had this ring that um, if you're watching on it, I had a ring that said number one dad on it. And I flipped it around like that it was a, it was a gold ring and I flipped it around and I wore it around. And so most people thought I was married on campus, but I, and I just, I wore that cause I just, I was like, I'm not, all I'm here to do is study for ministry. And I, t I took it very serious. And you probably just noticed most people that go to BBC that are older and I was six years older, um, are very serious. They put me in third floor Harper for the first semester. And these dudes were, were, they stayed up till five in the morning, all hours of the night, running up and down the hall naked. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Don't, you got school tomorrow. What are you? And so I couldn't wait to get out of the dorms and they put me with the older students. And then eventually I had my own apartment, but I spent four years at BBC, just very serious about, Hey, I'm here for ministry. I don't know what God's got for me, but I'm, I'm ready to go out and charge hell with a water pistol and do whatever God's called me to do. So you take a church. Yeah. I graduated. Um, I met a guy between my sophomore and junior year. I got a cousin of mine who I'd never met before calls me up. He's like, Hey, Joey, I heard you're in Bible college. He goes, I live in the city of Kansas city. And he goes, I go to this church. We're without a pastor right now. We need someone to fill the pulpit. 
would you come and share your testimony? This is the first time I'd ever preached. I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So I went over there, about 30 people there, and I preached, and it went, I felt like it went really well. And, uh, and afterwards, this guy came up to me. His name was Mike Bobbitt. He goes, I have a, a youth center not far from here. He goes, I have hundreds of kids that come through our building every week. He goes, and uh, he goes, so I, I want you to come over and talk to them and share your testimony. So the later that week, I went over and talked to them. Several kids got saved, and I just felt at home. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. These, and I go, tell me about these kids. And he goes, well, we got all these kids coming. They're little kids on up to teenagers. He goes, they live in the neighborhood. They're just, they're just uh, inner city kids. And he goes, many, he goes, we share the gospel with them. They get saved. But the problem is there's no churches in this area that want them in their church. And that just broke my heart. And I was like, well, we should start one for them. So I went back to Bible college, and, and one day God spoke to me. I've never heard God in an audible voice, but he very clearly spoke to me and said, I want you to plant a church for those teenagers. So I called Mike Bobbitt, and he go, and this is one of those things that, like, I don't have a lot of these stories, but I remember just petrified, and I was going to call Mike Bobbitt and go, hey, man, what, why don't we start a church for these kids? I called him up. It was like on a Tuesday morning. And on the other end, he goes, hey, Joey, it's interesting you just called me. He goes, we just got done with our staff meeting. And as a staff, we were praying about starting a church here. And he goes, God kept laying you on my mind for a reason, for some reason. He goes, I didn't know what it was till you just called. And I was like, that's, that's, why I, that's why I called. And so we began to plan. But I still had two years of Bible college. So for two years, we planned on starting this church. So I graduated in May of 2002. And in September, I kicked off this church I didn't, I didn't go to any church plant. I never read a book on church planting. I never, I didn't know anything about church planting. I was going way over my head. I just had a calling from God and it worked out. You know, it was, it was our first service we had, we had about 800 people come through and about 250 stick around for the service. And then, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to be a mega church for, you know, it. The next week we had 35 people, which was still good, but they were, it was like me and three or four other young adults and Mike Bobbitt and a bunch of kids. And that's what our service was. Every Saturday night we had church and we did um, Fear Factor. I'd give out five bucks if someone ate, you know, cow tongue tacos or some uh, uh, Madagascar, Madagascar hissing cockroach. We would have them eat that. Just silly things. But, um, but then I would get up and preach and share the gospel and kids were on fire for God. They were coming without their, man, I would, we, had a, we had a 15 passenger van and I would go pick up this girl named Rachel and she would go, okay, now go. She was like 12 years old. She goes, now stop here. I'd, I'd load about 30 kids in, in there, and I'd take them to church, and then I'd go out again and load about 30 kids in that 15-passenger van, and we just, it was, that's this, it was a wild thing. Sometimes there were gang fights that break out, and just crazy stuff would happen, but uh, it was kind of raw ministry, but I, I just enjoyed that. I kind of missed that, the, the, the newness of that and the rawness of that, but that was great times. So tell us about your family. Yeah, I have five kids. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who was turned a year old when I was in prison, she's 26 now, and she just got married. She's doing very well. Um, she's a real estate agent, and yeah, I'm proud of her. And then I have three teenagers, so uh, pray for us about that. Teenagers are expensive, and they eat a lot, and uh, they're very ungra- ungrateful. <laughs> but, yeah. but other than that... Um, Can I quote you on that later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you're married now? Married. I was three years single as a pastor, and um, 
when I t- I'll tell you that story. Uh, so I, uh, without, you know, be, because I was so promiscuous when I, before I was saved, I didn't trust myself. I, all, all of like, I never dated a girl without trying to get her to sleep with me. That's just that I wouldn't even entertain anything else. So that was my MO. And so now I'm like, I want to, I want to get married, but I don't trust myself. So I'm not, I wasn't going to date any girls. So this was 2004 on Thanksgiving day. And I remember, uh, I was praying and I asked God, I said, God, I'm not going to date a girl. You're just going to have to show me who you want me to marry. That's how it's got to work. And he spoke to me that day again, not in an audible voice, but he told me Megan and I was like, and, and Megan was, she worked at the youth center and was a part of my church. And so one day, uh, so, so I felt like God was supposed to, um, uh, or, or like God spoke to me that was, she's the one I was supposed to marry. Well, this is Thanksgiving. And now I'm just like, I'm trying to figure out how I can talk to her about this. And so, uh, on Valentine's day, 2005, we were at a party together. She lives six houses down from me. I get back home and I call her up. I said, Hey, can you come up and talk to me for a minute? She came up. She was like, what's going on? And uh, I said, well, I said, uh, it's the craziest thing. I said, but I feel like, I said, I feel like you're the one I, I prayed about it. And I said, I feel like you're the one that I'm supposed to marry. What do you think about that? Now you should know the background story about that is you, a couple years earlier, right after I started pastoring, I was single. And so, um, some, sometimes I would go preach at another church on Sundays and cause our service was Saturday night and a little, some little old lady would come up to me and go, Oh, my granddaughter will be perfect for you. And I was, they were always trying to fix me up with somebody. Well, one time this girl came up to me and she goes, she goes, God spoke to me last night and said that you and I are supposed to get married. And I was like, well, he didn't tell me. <laughs> so I feel like I would have been in on that. I feel like he would have told me about that. So right around that time, right after that, she ended up leaving the church. I don't know if she was just coming for that or whatever. But um, And then I did a sermon on how do you know God's will for your life? And I used as an illustration that girl. I didn't tell her by name. I didn't name her by name. But I just the said, girl that well, left the church, the girl that left church. And I was like, <laughs> one time a girl came up to me and said that God spoke to her and we were supposed to get married. And, uh, and I just, I just said, sometimes we can be wrong about thinking that God spoke to us when he really didn't. And so it was a running joke at our church. People would come up and go, Hey, God spoke to me last night. We're supposed to get married. So everybody knew that story. So when I asked Megan, I said, I feel like God spoke to me and said, you're the one I'm supposed to marry. What do you think? And she kind of started tearing up a little bit. I didn't know if that was good or bad. And I said, did God speak to you about the same thing? And she goes, yeah. He told me the same thing. She goes, but I was never going to bring it up because I didn't want to be a sermon illustration. <laughs> so I said, what do we do now? And so uh, two weeks later, I bought her a ring. And two and a half months later, we were married. Wow. We got married May 21st. And we never dated until after we got married. Never dated. That's crazy. I just didn't trust myself. Oh. I can't believe you never shared that story with me before. <laughs> That's a good story. And here we are, 17 years later. But do me a big favor. Do not share that with anyone in our program, okay? You cannot tell them that story. (laughs) About short engagement? No, no, no. Well, no, no, short engagement. But just that God, yeah, we'll talk about it later. But uh, most definitely, because they're already looking for a reason to, you know, you know how it is in recovery, man. Yeah. Uh, But God does do that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. But we, we have to be careful, don't we? Because a lot of times those relationships will be that cause of relapse. Oh, yeah. So, um, so tell us, 
you know, you, you, you started a church, you don't have to go into details, but you leave yeah. that church, plant a new church. And, and so now you're not in Kansas city, you're in independence. Yeah. And what church do you pastor? Uh, so, yeah. So it's called grace church and, um, we've moved a couple of different times. Uh, but now the, the place where we're at now, um, is right across the street from my drug dealer's house. I used to sit and smoke meth in his house all night. Like right, and that guy went to prison and got saved also, and he comes to our church. That's awesome. And so, um, so we are we, we he and I we went from being a blight on the community, you know, drug dealers in the community, to now I always say we went from uh, selling dope to pushing hope, and that's that's what we do. And I got people that go to our church that I used to party with, that I used to sell drugs to, and guy's got a funny sense of humor. You know, we're we're in the business of seeing the community redeemed one one person at a time so so your church is grace church grace church we have a lot of people in recovery um independence like i said when when i was in high school we were the meth capital of the world now drugs are everywhere every little city every town you go to is drug filled with drugs and so that's kind of our niche in the community we um we, we've been doing on monday nights for the last nine years um eight and a half years grace recovery and um, we just have a lot of people that go to our church that, you know, they they look like you, they're covered in tattoos and, and they tell me, you know, they feel judged when they go to some other churches and just be by the way they look or because they have a past and, and, and they find a home at Grace Church. They find a place that, of acceptance where, uh, we're not going to judge you because you have a past. And when the pastor has been to prison, you know, you can't really do that. So. Amen. So, uh, What's your biggest struggle in ministry right now? What would you say your biggest struggle is? Uh, structure, and I, I hate administration, personally. Um, Carly is our kids director, and she's she's good at that stuff. And we're trying to, there, there's a lot of things that God has for us, and we're just trying to figure out how we can do that, how we can do everything we're doing now, because pastoring a church is... Um, it's a full-time job and it's a lot to, and we're look, we're trying to get this March 1st, we're starting a recovery house and, um, we have some other things on the horizon. We're looking at starting a second campus for our church in a different town. And it's just a lot to, to go into that and make sure that we focus on the, the main things. Well, yeah. you need administration help. Yeah, absolutely. God absolutely. bless you for that. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, Rachel Baird is my administration help and she does a great job. Mm-hmm. And uh, her, her and Carly actually had a yeah. good meeting yesterday. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Joey's church came down to leadership, came to hang with us and learn about our recovery homes and stuff, so they could kind of get an idea of what they're going to do. Um, but uh, and so I call it division in the process. So you have to have a vision and you have to have a process to get there. And sure. And I'm the same way. I have the vision, but you got to have a process person. Yeah. And so, uh, so what's What's your challenges today? Like, what challenges do you face today? Um, I don't know. B- balancing, I mean, uh, like balancing my time and making, you know, I have a family and I have church responsibilities and just to make sure that I'm the dad I need to be, the husband I need to be. And that's always, you know, I, I feel like I fall short on that so, so often, um, but especially with three teenagers. But I have some good kids and I have a great church and we have... Um, you know, my, my job, honestly, my job as a pastor more than anything today is just to keep the peace, just to make sure that we're, 
at, at nine years in as a church, you, you kind of get off track. I, you, you look at all these churches around America and most churches are not growing. The average church in America is like 70 people and, and, and most churches are not f- laser focused on reaching lost people. And that's what God's called us to do. There are so many hurting, broken people in our community that need to know that there's a God that still loves them. And that's what we're, we're focused on. And so trying to, trying to build uh, a church and trying to um, disciple the people that we have and still stay focused on reaching lost people, it gets harder and harder every year we go on. So did you ever think your life could be where it is right now? No, no, I am so blessed. And I don't mean that just as a cliche. Uh, I'm just, you know, I never would imagined that God would do anything with a person like me. Um, it's, it's crazy. What's your biggest burden today? Lost people. Yeah, people who are, um, people, you know, I've done so many funerals for people who have overdosed on fentanyl. This, there's just an epidemic. Everybody knows this. They're putting fentanyl in everything. And now I have three teenage kids and, and they're putting it in vape pens now. And so kids are going to parties and they're just hitting a vape pen where they think it's innocent and it's, and then they're overdosing with fentanyl. And so it's, it's just crazy. People are dropping like flies and it's so unavoidable, you know, and you know, we didn't get into all this. We probably don't have time to get into all that, but everybody just wants to feel different. Like everybody, everybody wants to self-medicate themselves because they don't like who they are. They don't like what's going on in their life. So they want to feel different. So they drink something, they smoke something and And what we have to realize is that God made us this way and he wants us to, you know, they say in in AA, they talk about doing life on life's terms and you have to deal with life. And, and, you know, the the way most people deal with the problems of life is they go drown their sorrows in a bottle or uh, they go get high in some form or fashion. And that's just not the way to do it because when you sober up, you still got the same problems. And so you still got to deal with those things. And so that's my burden is, is that people are literally going to hell and in the church of America seems totally disinterested in doing something about that. seems like everybody wants to fight about all these little things when people are little literally going to hell. And then what, what are you doing in your community? And I know in my community, I want to, I want to put a stop to overdoses and seeing people, um, just being homeless and, and because all that stuff's unavoidable, you know, they give their life to Christ and pursue a relationship with him and he can put the broken pieces of your life back together. Like he did with me, like he did with you. And I, so I had a kid come in the other day. Uh, we have a clothes clothing ministry and somehow the doors open. And, uh, I thought the we have a, we have new guys that are usually here during the week and they're serving and we keep them, we have them come and volunteer for a week just to watch them, see how their yeah. work ethic is, their attitude and stuff, so we can know for, whether we can refer them to a job or have to go find their own. And um, so anyways, this guy, he's in there with him. I'm thinking, why are they in the clothes closet with this homeless guy? You know, they are they don't even know how to do it right, you know. And sure. uh, But come to find out, the door is left unlocked, and they found him in there. <laughs> so they were just watching him, you know. And uh, his name was Isaac. And a young kid, he's 21, and um, and he had no hope. Had he was lost, you know. And uh, anyways, I shared my testimony with him, shared the gospel with him, and and he wanted some dry clothes. He was wet. It was cold, and uh, and I seen his shoes. They were soaking wet, you know. And 
asked him what size he wore. I had a chance to go get him some warm socks and a pair of really good boots that would keep him dry. And I shared the gospel with this kid, you know. And I took him into the lobby, and I went to give him a Bible. And he said, you can keep that. I'm not going to read it, you know. And that was, a, you know, that's a, that's a burden for me. Mm -hmm. They just, there's nothing you can do. I mean, he, you know, I said, well, my help here is over for you, you know. And I'm going to have to invite you to go. Not because you don't want the Bible, but it, you can't hang out. This ain't a yeah. flop house, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's a reality for us, isn't it? That mm -hmm. we're surrounded by lost people. We're surrounded by people who don't know the Lord. And some of them will split hell wide open. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what brings you joy today as we close, Joey? Uh, what, bring you, what brings you joy? It's seeing changed lives. Um, I, I, just, I see people who were at rock bottom and see them... And it, and it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you know, it's like people in recovery, they spend their whole adult life screwing up their lives and then they get saved and they're like, okay, I want it, I want my kids back tomorrow. I'm like, no, that's going to be a two year process to get your kids back. And to, you, you got court dates coming up and you still might have to go to jail for a little while. You got to deal with all the consequences. But if you stick with it one step at a time and you trust the process, then you will get to where you where God wants you to be. And it'll be way better than anything you dreamed of. And when I watch that, when I see people today who, when I first met them, were homeless, drug addicted, they got their kids taken from them, to see them with their own apartment, to see them married. I got there's people that are just, now they're married. Amen. And, and, and these these are people that if you met them, when you meet them, you're like, you used to be in jail or you used to do drugs like that you know when my kids meet them they're shocked that they have you know used to be homeless well that's a testament of what god can do god can take the broke because that's what we do we bring all the broken pieces of our life to god and we just say here and god's like just let me do it let me do it take your hands off and let me do it one step at a time and he makes you into somebody that you know, you know, before we, we become a person we don't recognize in the mirror, we become a person we never we, we wouldn't have recognized before. Like, I can't believe God has done that. I can't believe I was that person. Now I can't believe I'm this person in the positive. And I see that, man, that just brings me so much joy. Amen. That makes what we do so worth it. And uh, and God is God is in the business of changing people. And there's no shortage of people that need hope. Right. They're out there. And so. It's, and it's exciting to, to share the gospel and to see lives change and know that you Absolutely. got to be a little bit of a little Absolutely. part of that. Uh, so how can people find you in the Independence, Missouri area? Yeah, uh, I'm on Facebook and uh, Instagram, Joey Candelo. Uh, our church is Grace Church. Graceisfree.org is the website. Um, we're, our church is right behind Christman High School. And uh, so, yeah, if you know of anybody in the area, now there are like i said we're we're in the process of starting a recovery house there are lots of recovery houses and lots of resources very few of them are actually christ-centered christ you know bible-based um, and even some that are still are just a money maker i mean i'm not trying to judge people but i i just know stories of people that went to that place and wasn't weren't cared for they they, they shoved 15 people in a small house people living in broom closets and stuff and um, we came down here to see what you guys do and everything you guys do is impressive you guys take you guys care for people that's the biggest thing and so you you don't have a ton of people living in a house when people come to come up to the facility to eat you give them a nice meal you make sure they got dry socks things like that that's caring for people it's not just about making money and um and that's what we're trying to do too we're trying to just make a difference in people's lives and 
We just believe that that's that that, that God's going to reward that. So, Amen. So we'll be praying for Joey, praying for Grace Church, Grace Recovery. Uh, come go visit them if you're in the Kansas City or uh, Independence area. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on One Broken Life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, would you do me a favor and subscribe to it? Uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, Podbean, whatever you listen to on your uh, your podcast, um, YouTube. Um, and then share it with your friends uh, and let people know what God can do through One Broken Life at a time. Uh, you can support the podcast by going to freeway-ministries.com, and you can become a one-time supporter or a monthly supporter because this is a production of Freeway Ministries. And so, Joey, thank you, brother. Yeah, man. It's been good hanging with you. Uh, we'll see you guys next time on One Broken Life. Amen.